welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Scriptures and how bad the people are, and you know, Paul says you're. He's telling them off a little bit. He's saying you're living in opposition and competition and degrading lifestyles. You're you're taking sides, and he comes to the end of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and in, instead of rebuking them really harshly, he, he kind of lifts it up a level. And he ends chapter 12 with this statement. But now I will show you the most excellent way. And I, I think it's very clever because he's speaking to people who are all proud because, you know, I follow Paul and I follow Peter and all of those kinds of things. And I've got a better gift than you and I speak in tongues more than you do and I speak in lots of different kinds of tongues. And so he appeals to their pride. He actually uses their pride and says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And it's almost like, I'm going to let you into the secrets of God. And he gets their attention that way. I'm going to show you a better way to live, he's saying to them. And they thought they were living the best way already. And what he really does is bring them then to the core of his letter. This is what the, the letter, the, the 12 chapters have been leading up to. You know, he's been describing a, a dysfunctional Christianity. The, the way they were using the gifts were dishonouring each other. It's creating division and jealousy and, and arrogance. You know, people setting themselves up in different camps. They're suing each other. They're living immoral lifestyles and, you know, normal church. <laughs> and then he says this is the most excellent way and he said if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love I am nothing if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Because love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That word fail means it never falls flat. It stays in a high place. It stays in that elevated place. And, you know, I used to think this was a great passage for weddings. <laughs> but Paul, what Paul is doing is he's bringing them a new perspective, a new way of seeing things. And I guess for me, in this whole revelation of the love of the Father, that's what's happening. I'm seeing differently. It's not that... I'm adjusting my behaviour, but his love poured into my heart is adjusting my sight. You know, Paul prays that, doesn't he? I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, that you might know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious inheritance amongst the saints. And I guess that's what's happening with this love. And so Paul is saying to them, you know, love is a change of perspective. We think it's something we have to do. Because we've been so conditioned to, to, to think that the, the effectiveness of our Christianity is dependent upon the actions we take. Because that's how we measure it, isn't it? You know, if you're at all the meetings and you're the biggest tither, then you're probably the best Christian in the church. Because you can measure your Christianity. 
And so we come to the scriptures and we, we read, perhaps unconsciously, but we always approach scripture with a question in our hearts. And I think the question we come with is, what must I do to be the Christian God wants me to be? And so we learn to do the right thing instead of the wrong thing. <laughs> you probably, I know Andy talks about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And learning the good thing is just the same as learning the wrong thing. It comes from the same tree. And it's just as damaging. It still produces death. And we become paralysed by fear. We wrestle with thoughts like, oh, what is the right thing for me to do in this situation? And so we have things like, you know, WWJD. I'm really sorry if you're wearing a What Would Jesus Do bracelet or something tonight. But, <laughs> but that comes out of that fear. It's a fear-driven thinking that says, I need to get it right. And I need a wristband to remind me. Uh, my wife was listening to a radio programme a few years ago. And on it, the two DJs found a website selling What Would Jesus Do merchandise. And of course, they're not Christians, so they're having a great laugh. And they come across on the website, what would Jesus do, knickers? <laughs> and I thought to myself, if you get that far, it's too late to ask what would Jesus do? <laughs> it, it's a fear-based thing. Can you imagine that you're in the heat of passion and, and you see the what would Jesus do, knickers, and you go, oh no, let's stop. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> because it comes out of the fear of getting it wrong. I have to do the right thing, and so I have to have all of these reminders, and I have to have all of these things in place to stop me doing the wrong thing. But love keeps no record of wrongs. So how does that work? How does love... How does that work? When love keeps no record of wrongs, how can you be doing wrong? I don't have the answer to that, by the way. <laughs> and so we read love is patient and love is kind and, and we practice being patient, we practice being kind. Outwardly, at least. Inwardly, we're thinking, I want to kill you. <laughs> but we want to keep this, we, we want to have this demonstration of my spirituality. I'm such a good Christian, I'm patient with you. You know, you're a pain in the backside, but I'm patient with you. But love doesn't see a pain in the backside. <laughs> you know, this, we, we have all of this, it's almost like a recipe book, the Bible. This is what a Christian looks like, and you have to put all of these ingredients together in your life so that you can be that Christian. It puts incredible pressures on you because when do you know when you've done enough? But the thing is, as I read through Corinthians 13, Paul doesn't say if you do not do love. He says if you do not have love. But we read it, if I do not do love, and so I better get about doing love. I better do patience, I better do kindness, I better do generosity, I better do forgiveness. And so we have all of these kind of like, I have to, I need to, I should, I ought to obligations and pressures to perform. And what Paul is really saying is he's saying, when you learn how to live in a, as a recipient of love, this is what love will produce in your heart. You know, you claim to be living in love, but if you're really living in love, this is what your life would look like. 
your life would look like patience and kindness and, and not rude and forgiving and all of those things. This is what your life will look like if you learn to have love within you. Love poured into our hearts is what will change us, is what will make us look like Jesus. Because your heart is the most important central part of you. Jesus even said, didn't he, you know, that, no, I'll come to that. No, I'll come, I'll come to that in a minute. The Lord said to Samuel, I don't look at the things that man looks at, I look at the heart. And so we, we're doing all of these great miracles and we're chasing the supernatural and, and God's like, so? I don't care, do you have love? Are you receiving my love? Are you living with my love dwelling in you? Because if you're not, then you're wasting your time, guys. That's what Paul says here, isn't it? I can do all of these wonderful things, but if I have not love, then it is meaningless. And I think so much of what we do in Christianity is meaningless because we often do it without love. Love has become a concept rather than an experience. And Paul's saying, listen, it's not your job to replicate loving deeds. You know, that's what he's saying. You can do all the super things and all the wonderful looking things, but if it's not driven by love, if it's not led by love even, then what's the point? He's saying instead, this is the result of living out of a life that receives love. Because it's love that transforms you. And so often our identity is rooted in how well we perform, even unconsciously. And I don't just mean in, in Christianity, I don't mean in church, but in the world. You know, guys especially, one of the first things when you meet a man for the first time, what will he ask you guys? Yeah. One of the first questions that men ask each other is, what do you do? And then we measure ourselves against one another. And we determine that person's worth depending on what kind of job they do or what they, kind of job they don't do. So I, I left pastoring in 2008 and the Lord just had me doing nothing. I couldn't even get a job in, in Sainsbury's or I, I wasn't going to go down market. I wasn't going to Asda. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I couldn't get a, a job in the supermarket even. And that really brought me down in some people's estimation because well, I'm a layabout, I'm not working, I'm not earning, and therefore, you know, that's how we judge. And so our performance determines our worth in, in, in our own eyes and in other people's eyes. And Paul's saying to us, it doesn't matter what, what spiritual activities you engage in, they will not change you. And they won't make you more loving. The only thing powerful enough to change your hearts is love itself. Not loving deeds, but love itself. Doing the right thing will not change your heart. Because there will be times when you can't do the right thing. You know, you know, we, we live out of that, don't we? We judge what's right, what's wrong. And so we know that sin is bad for us. I hope we do. <laughs> no one seemed to respond when I said that. What are you teaching these guys? <laughs> but, so if that's true, why do you still do it? Love is the only thing that's powerful enough to change your heart and set you free from those things. Because love will cause patience to grow in your heart. Kindness will become an automatic behavior. Selfishness will lose its grip in you and anger will stop controlling you. 
That's my experience in this revelation. That's what's happening to me. I remember once driving in a, in a 60 zone and the guy in front of me was doing 30 and there were no passing places. And of course I bore it in my usual way. God, this is so frustrating. <laughs> kind of, you know. And I said, you know what it's like. And you know, he spoke to me instantly. And he said, John, I don't know what it's like. I don't get frustrated. <laughs> so, damn. <laughs> Love is not easily angered, which is what frustration is. It's just a form of anger. And we can copy the, the actions of a kind person, but that doesn't make you kind. It just makes you a good mimic. And I think a lot of our Christianity is just about learning to be good mimics, learning the right behavior. But when love touches your heart, it will change your perspective. It will change how you see things. And I believe that is fundamental to Christian living. A change of perspective. It's not about behaving differently. It's about seeing differently. We've made Christianity about behaving differently when God focuses on the heart and wants us to see differently. And again, back to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. I pray the eyes of your heart will be enlightened. Why does he pray that? Well, it must be because the eyes of their hearts have been dimmed. And I guess we need to ask ourselves those kind of questions. Father, where have the eyes of my heart become dim? Where have I become blind to the reality of your kingdom and your love and your life? Where do my eyes need to be enlightened? And I believe that only love can do that, enlightening. When you know love being poured into your heart, it changes your perspective. You see everything differently. And it's not about you having to work hard to change your ways and turn over new leaves and all of that kind of stuff. You know, I'm beginning to see the effects of that in my own life. I wish it happened in every occasion, but, but it's happening more often. I was at, I was at an event, uh, and I met one of the leaders of this event, and I chatted away for 10 minutes. And then my friend and I left him and went off to do our thing. And my friend was so angry. He was ranting and raving about the way that guy treated you and the way he spoke to you. And, and I had no idea what he was talking about. I still don't. Because I just didn't see from that perspective. I didn't see offence. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm convinced there was no offence given or, or intended. But my, my friend saw something else. You know, my, I came home from a, a week's teaching last, last year. And... I had some money, I'd been selling books and CDs and stuff as well, and so I had money, I had my, my laptop and everything else. Get up in the morning and it's all gone. Someone's broken into the house and taken it. And you know, I've not forgiven the guy who did it. Because for some reason, I wasn't upset by it. I know, it's crazy. I know me. You know, I remember my mum's house was broken into and I, looked for a, I went looking for a gun to find the guy who, who did it, because I knew who he was. So I know what I'm like <laughs> when someone takes something that's mine. And, and here I am sitting going, oh well, that's okay. I'll just go and buy a new pair of spectacles. I'll buy a new digital recorder. Because love changes your heart. It changes your perspective. And what, my perspective wasn't on what I'd lost, but my perspective was on a father who has more than enough for what I need. And so I wasn't perturbed or upset by, by what had been taken. It really, 
You know, love doesn't boast, it's not selfish. In other words, it's not focused on itself. That's why Paul can write in Philippians, you know, consider others before yourself. He's not saying you need to learn to deny yourself. You need to learn to, you know, if God gives you a hundred pounds, you need to fast and pray and ask him what he wants you to do with it. He gave you a gift. Spend it. You know, what do you do when someone gives you a gift? You use it for yourself, don't you? Because they gave it to you. It's the same with God. You know, Paul's not talking about, uh, uh, about denying yourself. He's, he's saying that when love is in your heart, when love remains, when you have love, love will free you from self-centeredness. It will free you up to see other people in a different light. To such a degree that, that it's just like, it's just obvious. Oh, you, get, you start to see people's brokenness and so their offence is no longer offensive to you. Because you realise, wow, that's just, out, that's just their pain speaking. And you start to have mercy and, and tenderness towards them because you, and compassion towards them. And it's almost like, I want to take that pain from them. They've just called me all sorts of names, but I want to take their pain from them. Wow. Jesus said that what is in our hearts will come out of our mouths. You know, what's in our hearts will be revealed. And most of us aren't really aware of what's in our hearts. I wasn't um, aware of something in my heart. I told this story today and I'll, I'll tell it tonight. I went for a, a weekend retreat ministry. Something came up in my heart about my dad. You know, my dad was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis just after I was born. He died when I was 11 years old. And this guy was saying, John, it's like you're still 11 years old and you're, you're holding on to your dad. You need to let your dad go. And so... We go into the room to do the, the praying but you know, the, the Christian bit. And, um, and I can't say anything. I, you know, I thought it would be really easy just, yeah, God, I let my dad go, blah, blah, amen, thank you, move on. But I couldn't say anything. And this guy spoke some words that actually released me. And he said, John, God wants to be your father. Let your dad go. And that, that totally released me. But not in the way we expected. Because what came out of my mouth was, No! You took my dad from me, you're not taking his place. I was a church leader. I had no idea that was in my heart. I'd been a Christian at that point for, I don't know, 18 years, something like that. And all of this striving to get close to God and have intimacy with God, it was useless in my part because there was an issue in my heart that stopped me having that intimacy. And it came out of my mouth. God revealed my heart. Not to condemn me, but to set me free from that blockage. And so I, quite often now I'll ask myself, what's in my heart? When I'm in a situation, what's in your heart, John? Why are you responding that way? You know, why are you, well, not me, but other people. Why, you know, why do other people get jealous when God blesses someone else? <laughs> no, you know what I mean? We've all done that when someone gets up and says, wow, I needed this money and I get a thousand pounds through the, through the door this morning. And you're sitting there thinking, you're not a very good Christian, are you? Where's my thousand pounds? <laughs> no? Is that just me? That's just me, okay. <laughs> but love doesn't do that. Love rejoices, Paul writes. What happens when someone offends you? Do you become rude and aggressive? 
do you think of ways to retaliate to get them back? You know, are you selfishly ambitious? You know, do you do you do that Christian character assassination? Listen, I just want to tell you this so that you can pray. But you know, Andy. <laughs> What we're really doing is putting someone down so that we can lift ourselves up. This is what was happening in the Corinthian church. Putting others down to lift themselves up. And so when Paul's writing all of this stuff, he's saying, listen guys, you're claiming to have love, but look at you. You don't have love because this is what it looks like when you have love. When love is dwelling in you, when love has been received in your heart, this is what it looks like. You know, do we, do we hold grudges? You know, I grew up learning how to hold grudges. I, my mother taught me to have a long memory when it comes to people offending me. And probably the biggest issue I've had in my Christian life is forgiveness. But when I begin to understand that love poured into your heart causes your heart to keep no record of wrongs, forgiveness becomes less of an issue. It's not about me striving to let something go, it's about love releasing my grip and he's saying let love dwell in you and if love dwells in you love will produce these characteristics in your heart and you will become like Jesus I no longer am interested in getting touches from God I want to live in a place where I have love where love finds a place in my heart where it can dwell and doesn't keep leaking out all the time Because when we know what it is to be loved, and in those deep ways, living in a place that, that love begins to not just dwell in us, but permeate our whole beings, that's when we begin to see the fruit of love growing. You know, in Galatians 5, talking about the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, long-suffering, all of those things, love produces that in you. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. And the Spirit, Paul tells us, is the one who sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts, in Romans 5. But even more than that, John tells us in his writings that God is love. And if that's true, then it's not just that, you know, God has this substance and that's apart from him and he pours it into you. You know, like, like this jug is separate from this and... The milk is something different from the jug and it's poured in. But something of God himself is imparted to us. You know, when when he breathed into Adam's nostrils, the ruach of God, it was something from within God himself that left him and was imparted into the man. And so when we talk about the love of God being poured into our hearts, we're talking about something that is within God himself being poured into our lives. The very life that makes God God (laughs) is imparted to you and me. And so Peter can say, because of his great and precious promises, we participate in the divine nature. Just as he breathed into Adam and caused him to become a breathing soul, so he imparts the life that is in him to us. That's what makes him a father. Fathers are people, not, not people who just give, who sire children, but who continue to impart life to them throughout the days of their lives. That's real fatherhood. And that's why we call God a father, not because he's male, but because he wants to continue to impart life to your heart and your soul while you're on this earth. 
And so this is not just what love produces in us, but this is how he treats us. You know, when instead of love, why don't you read Father or God? God is not easily angered. God is not rude. God never fails. God keeps no record of wrongs. God is patient. God is kind. That's not the God I learned about growing up in the Catholic Church. <laughs> and Paul's saying, if you experience him loving you this way, then it will produce the same life in you. And we can't manufacture that life by doing the good things or doing the right things or avoiding the wrong things and the bad things. It is him who produces that life in us. And that life will begin to replicate itself within you and within me. And that's how we'll be recognized as his followers. <coughs> Didn't it? Jesus said, this is how they will know you're my disciples, by the love you have. That's not the whole sentence though, is it? What is it? By the love you have for each other. And we think it's all about saving the world. And Jesus says, no, the real witness to the world is how you love one another. That's, that's how they'll know that you are of a different spirit. That's how they'll know that you're not like the pagans, by the way you love one another. When you're patient with one another, when you're not rude to one another. Now, let's be honest, we, we rub each other up the wrong way. But, it's, but love works out the differences. Love doesn't attack. Love reconciles. Which is why Jesus came, to reconcile us. <laughs> love is reconciliatory. And it is him actively loving us that enables these qualities to take root in our lives. But it's learning to allow him to remove the barriers in our hearts. You know? And that was the first time I realized that there were issues in my heart that stopped that love reaching me and being planted in me. You know, Paul says, being rooted and planted in love, <laughs> rooted and established. And I realized that I wasn't being rooted and established in love because I wasn't allowing love to root in me. And so I began to say, okay, Father, teach me how to open my heart because I want love to be rooted in me. Because, you know, I'm really tired of trying to be this Christian person. I'm pretty rubbish at it. <laughs> love never gives up, never fails. Paul tells us that everything is going to disappear. There will be no supernatural gifts. That's how he finishes Corinthians 13. Everything is going to go. In heaven, if we go to heaven, that's another theological discussion for another day. But heaven has no prophets, no evangelists, no worship leaders. Your guitar's staying here, Tom, sorry. <laughs> These are temporal things which heaven doesn't need. And as we walk with him and his love fills our hearts, childish behaviours start to drop off. We remain childlike, but the childishness of impatience and rudeness and selfishness will one day disappear completely. And we'll see him face to face, the Bible tells us, because we shall be like him. And all this performance stuff, all of this striving, and it, it's just our fig leaves to hide our brokenness like Adam. And I've learned to accept that I am broken. And I will never be completely fixed or healed or whatever you want to call it until Jesus comes back. And as I've learned to accept that, 
I've learned that I'm okay. And as I've learned that and, and kind of let go of some of the striving, I'm still, I'm still in the process and I think I'll be in the process of that the rest of my life. But as I'm learning to do that, I'm just relaxing in his embrace and allowing love to take root in my heart. And his love taking root in the brokenness of my life is transforming my life from the inside out. Because that is the nature of love. It is transformative. And if you want to change, if you want to become like Jesus, then let him love you. That's it. And it's more difficult than you think <laughs> to just accept that you are lovable, that you were created and conceived out of a place of beauty. And I love that innocence picture. I love that too. Created in that place of innocence and beauty. And he looks at us. This is what he said to me when I, 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 was, I was saying to him about my brokenness. He said, that's how you see yourself, but I don't see anything wrong with you, John. And I think he says the same thing to each one of us. Yeah, you may be aware of faults in you, but I don't see anything wrong with you. That's quite radical. That's, that's almost heresy in today's Christian church. <laughs> to say there's nothing wrong with you. And so I'm just learning to live in a place where I open my heart as best as I know how, and I'm not always sure how I manage it, but love finds its way in. And it's changing the way I approach life and relationships and ministry, and, and it has changed how I view myself. Love has an eternal quality that will infect it will create a, an incredible transformation in your life that years of ministry and years of effort and striving and everything else will not fix and will not bring about. Please say me, I'm not saying don't get prayed for, don't read the Bible, and those are all good things. But stop trying to get fixed and just let love take root in you and love will produce a transformation in your life. It may not happen as quickly as you would like, but it will happen. And Paul finishes with this. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And faith and hope are wonderful. They've sustained me in a lot of difficult situations. But why is love the greatest? I believe it's because love is the only one of these three that will transform you and change your heart. And that's what he wants to do, to transform us through love. Not that we practice patience or kindness, but that love produces this in us. That the impartation of the very life of God himself becomes a part of who we are. And we truly do carry his DNA then. And we begin to grow more and more like him. And it takes no effort on your part. That's the great news. <laughs> Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians, as we sit back and contemplate his glory, we are transformed into his image. Doesn't he? It says that in 2 Corinthians 3. Contemplate as we, as we just meditate upon the beauty, meditate upon what it is to be embraced and held by him, we are being transformed into his image. That's awesome. That's, that's the gospel. And it's dead simple. You don't have to do anything because he's done it all already. And he continues to do it in you. Give yourself a break, guys. Give each other a break. You know, I love what you were saying, Andy, like, we want this mercy for ourselves, but we want justice for everyone else. 
But actually, when you begin to live in love, you want mercy for everyone else as well as yourself. And that change only comes from the inside out. You can't practice that. You can't develop that. You can't create that for yourself. It is something that he does in you as love takes root. Let's pray. I've gone on enough. Father, thank you. Thank you that you take away from us the obligation, the sense of I have to, I need to, I ought to, I should, I must. And you say, child, let me do it for you. Let me give you of myself. Let me give you of the very life that is in me. Let my love take root in your heart. Let love transform you. Let the eyes of your heart be enlightened by love that you might see the great hope and inheritance to which you have been called. And in the process, learn to call me Papa. Hmm. Thank you, Father, for your incredible love. Thank you that you are Papa and you carry us when we can't walk. Amen. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.